Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Adjelison. Another call before we start the podcast today. Could you please just take two minutes to subscribe and follow on your podcast provider and leave me a smally comment at the end of the podcast. That would be amazing. On the podcast today, I have one of the world's and Great Britain's best judo heavyweight players. He competed in the Olympics in London in 2012 and became a gold medalist in the Commonwealth Games in 2014. Since competing at the highest level of judo, my guest has now started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. As well as all his sporting greatness, Chris is also a Royal Marines commando. Please enjoy a grumpy surfer conversation with Chris Sherrington. I'm actually, I'm actually like, we're doing one week on week, one week off at the moment. Are you? Yeah, because of COVID and getting enough people into the gym and, and like, yeah. I was doing extra weeks as well because sometimes people don't turn up. But this week I was just like, nah, I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to do as I'm supposed to do and rest up. I've, I've, been, I've been training as well as rehabbing. Yeah. So like, they'll give me my sort of RI sort of regime. And in amongst that, I'll fit in like front squat deadlifts <laughs> so all the stuff you're not supposed to be doing well no there's nothing wrong with doing any of this stuff i mean uh you know it's it's all about muscle strength and stuff like that and a lot of people are like well we're amazed you can still do what you can with your knees the way they are and i'm like well that's you know and they're, they're like it's because they're strong as strong as fuck you know well, that's, I mean? it's like um the southern hemisphere people are, you know I, I, when i did my acl like 10 15 years ago I, I got told that a lot of the Southern Hemisphere people like the Fijians, the Tongans, and that they're born without ACLs anyway. Oh, really? So the whole construct of their knees, because they're quite dense packed um, uh, muscle mass, yeah. supports their knee structures anyway. So they yeah. don't, um, they don't, they don't require they don't them. Reco- yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, they don't probably do the shit that we do anyway that requires an ACL to stop your knee slipping out of joint. That's that's quite interesting you say that because I know quite a few. So, problem I've got is now it's because I've done both my ACLs. So when I did my first one, I did my right one. I was out in Azerbaijan. Basically, the guy just mutai kicked my knee while we were moving sideways. So my foot foot's hit the floor. My body's kept moving and my knees just bent inwards, and I felt a pop, and I sort of braced the leg back off me and I've dropped in for a drop sinagi and tried to throw the guy. You know, just bust my knee and I drop onto my knee with my weight. You know, 140 kilo of me plus 140, 160 kilo of the other guy. You know, <laughs> so like that was that one written off. But I, I, I rehabbed it and stuff because I've done loads and loads of knee stuff over the years. You know, they because they try to 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 prehab your knees so that they're stronger and blah blah blah. And you keep doing all this stuff. You know, so before we start a session, part of the warm up, we'll do the prehab, and um, it's always always the way we've done it at Sports Scotland and. And they t- they took it from sport from from judo Scotland and they brought it down to the 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 national training centre part of British judo. I think part of that is because they stole the S and C coach as well from from judo Scotland. But um, we always do that sort of thing. So I bust my knee and then I rehabbed it, got it to a, like it got to like ninety something percent better, and then it just wouldn't get any better. And I thought, right, I'll, I'll go for a little run. Tried to go for a run and my calf pulled up so hard. Mm. And of course, I was like, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll stretch it out. I'll, nah. It took like two days for my calf to go back down, and like I couldn't bring my toes up. It was so locked in. Oh, really? and I was like, fuck yeah! So I couldn't run. See, when I did mine, I didn't. Um, 
I got my I got tackled. My knee got tackled the wrong way playing oh, rugby league. God. But uh, I so I did that. That was in oh. the Wigan Bowl. <laughs> and it was at Sela. Is that for Elmsy, was it? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. This no. is years ago. This is like 2003. I said before 2002. That, yeah. yeah. So um, we, we'd we come we'd come back from Telic and then the Wigan Bowl came up and I was like, yep, yeah, right, I'm going to go and do that. So we ended up driving from Scotland because it was at 4-5 at the time. Oh, God. We ended up driving from Scotland all the way down to Sela. And there was no accommodation for us. So we slept in the squash courts. Oh, my God. But the day before, we did a little bit of training in the morning. When we went and did an all-dayer in Barnstable, <laughs> absolutely hanging out the next morning. Someone actually had to come into the squash courts and wake the lads up to tell us that we had a game in 20 minutes. Oh. Yeah, so we got got changed. And the kickoff, uh, do you know Big Gilly Gilson? Yeah, Gilly, yeah, yeah, PTI now. So Gilly actually tackled me and, and took my knee Is out Gilly the wrong way. Gilly did your knee? Yeah. So wow. um, that that was on that was on the Friday. We were then going to go straight from that onto summer leave. So I, I ended up driving home to Birmingham. And then when I got to Birmingham, my knee was like, there's something, there's something not right, right about it. it. So I went to the hospital. You they know when did, it goes the wrong way? Yeah. The way it's not supposed to, that, that, that means there's going to be something yeah, wrong I'm with still, it. I'm still half cut. So, <laughs> so, so, it probably saved parts of your knee. It probably. Because you were so relaxed, you know. Maybe. Um, but the idiocy <laughs> that came afterwards it is far and few between because I went to um, I went to uh, Birmingham A&E and, uh, and they took some scans on my knee and they're like that. Yeah, it looks it looks fine, but you can't see ligament damage through um, X-ray X-rays and yeah, bones, bones, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was like, happy days. So I jumped on a flight. I went to Thailand for a month, and as I was walking around, like again, a little bit drunk and stuff, as you do when you're in Thailand. And uh, oh, is that is that what happens in Thailand? Yeah, is it? it is. We're not going to go any further than that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, walking up and down, walking up and down curbs, my knee just kept giving out. Yeah. So when I got back, I ended up going and having an MRI, and it's like, yeah, MRI, you've, you've done done your ACL. Yeah, and I was like, brilliant. And that was basically a year of my life out. You just yeah. think about when you step off the curb; it's just your whole body weight goes to one knee, and that that top that thigh, that top part of your leg, just wants to go forward over the top of yeah. the bottom part of the leg, which is bent at ninety degrees pretty much when it hits the ground. And you just think of think of the force going through it, and you're like. Yeah, I, I can see why it's giving way. You know? But that was the thing. I, I didn't have any. Um, I didn't have any like pain in my knee or anything. It no. didn't. It didn't hurt. Neither no, do I. It, it swelled up a little bit, but but that was about it. And then um, when they did the, uh, you know, when they do the tests where they sit on your foot and they they do the flexibility yeah. tests, see see how much uh, slack you've got in your knees. Both mine were absolutely like slack as anything anyway. So they were really both really That's loose. That's what they told me. And it, and normally the guy said when he pulls the knee towards you. Yeah to take your knee slack up um people like have a little yelp but i was like that he's like does that hurt and my knee was going Whoosh. it was like yeah. coming out quite a lot <laughs> and um and i was like does that hurt and i was like nah, no not at all so um, i did my first one and then they tried to compare my first knee to my second knee but you're the one was done as well well both of them were just because they told me to relax so i completely relaxed and they were just pulling going we can't tell yeah, what's different? And, and I've got, I had always good slatters as a kid. Yeah. So I've got these big bumps on the front of my knees. 
<laughs> so they're just like, and the guy was sweating, just moving my legs about because my legs are, you know, they're quite heavy. Yeah, you're a big old. This is normal sized guy, and he's not a boot neck, and he's not, you know what I mean? He's not. He's obviously not in the fitness. He's just a normal doctor with skinny arms. Yeah. And he's there lifting this this massive leg up. It's just, it's just, it's just, you just see him reaching for some cloth to wipe his head. It's fucking funny. But yeah, but both of them. So before I did this one, they tested them. And they both moved. Mm. And they were like, oh, we can't tell. MRI, specialist, yep, gone. I was supposed to be in for the first op on the 20, 25th of September um, with this guy in Southampton. And what happened was they put me on this fast, fast track system to get me in quick. Because I'm still wanting to compete and stuff. And, you know, it's not it's not that long until I'm 40 now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's closing. So I was like, yeah, get on the fast track, get in there quick. And this uh, best knee specialist in the UK, apparently, I didn't. I just met this guy and was just like, "Hey, how's it going?" And he's like, "You, you probably know me." And I was like, "Nope, I've no fucking clue." But it turns out he is one of the best knee specialists in the UK. And he was like, "Right, what we're going to do is we're going to do the ACL repair. We're going to take part of your hamstring. But then what I want to do is I want to take part. Of, just this is how I remember it. He wants to strip part of my quad off, right? Drill a hole through my knee and run it through my knee. And then what that's going to do is stabilize the outside of the knee. Okay. So it, because we're big, heavy guys, apparently they do this to rugby players and all sorts. And he was like, yeah, I want to do this because that's going to stabilize your knee because mm. you still, you still, he, he was like, what, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep scrapping <laughs> whether the knees function or not. If the knees, if I can't fix my knees, my career in the core is done and my career doing judo is done because the problem I've got is I've got no backstop on my knees now. So, you know, when you straighten your knee and it sort of locks. It, it doesn't do that no more. It just kind of like flutters about a bit. Are you not allowed to wear knee braces or anything like that when you uh, when you compete? It, it wouldn't make any difference. No. Because when I... So I'm fine walking about on my own. I'm fine in perfectly linear, non-fluctuating non positions. But but it's like... So for instance, I got I got my... Before I did my left one, I got my right one. I was doing over 200 kilo um, deadlifts for reps and sets. You know, however... If you came along and just started tapping that knee, as I'm lifting, I'd buckle. So what I did, because I did this one in September, and then I did the second one in February, and I still competed in between. I still went to comps. I got fifths, man. I got fucking fifths. Ah, oh, so close to pulling a medal. Pulled a medal. That'd be me, top 30, another medal, top 20, and then Tokyo, even with a duff knee. But... What I did is I basically just I cut out half of my techniques. So any technique that meant I had to balance on my right knee, I couldn't do anymore. So my my, my right knee became my throwing leg, and I'm, uh, my left knee was my supporting leg. So all my foot sweeps and everything like that it all relied on balancing on my left and hitting with my right. But even then, even when when I tried to foot sweep someone with the really heavy, so like there's two types of foot sweep. There's one which is timed really well. And as the guy goes to put his foot down or goes to lift his foot up, you guide it away out of his center of balance and he falls over. That's the one everyone wants to do, right? But the, the one that people end up doing, right, is is what, what, I, what I call a prop and a push. So say, for instance, you touch the foot as it's, as it's not touched the floor. But he's a really good guy and he knows what's happening. So he puts his foot down and the longer you allow that foot to touch, the more weight can go through it. So what you have to do then is take a hop and you do a little step and then you drive like a football 
you still got your foot turned for a sweep, but you put your hips into it and you drive it and it overcomes the, the, the stiction of the foot on the mat and it pushes it out anyway. But you've got to take the step. Yeah. So like you try and, so like if you imagine you stood there and you want to sweep the guy and he takes the step. So his foot's taken a step away already. You then need to just tap it. If it doesn't, I need to create force again. So you hop a bit closer and it's only, it's, it's, you know, it's a tiny amount, but you'll see all the best players do it and then they'll drive it. And that can be done for, for his leading leg or, or his trailing leg. It can be done for either one. But you've also got to have the space to then lift that leg up when it comes up to follow it down. It, when you see it done, you'll be like, oh, why did the guy hop? And so he can generate the force again. You know, it's, it gives him, so what, 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 what creates power? Power is created over distance and acceleration, isn't it? You know, so if you haven't got the distance to create the power, to, to accelerate into it, to create the power when it hits, then you're not going to have the force to move the foot off the floor. So it's like, you have to put that little hop in so that you can, so if you imagine my foot's there and my other foot's here, and if I step to here, I can then drive that leg through his foot. So it's just creating that. It's a great tangent, isn't it? It's just, it, you could, like, you'll love it because there's certain technical things here that you'll pick up and you'll go, fucking hell, he was talking about that. This is uh, this is how you do a foot sweep. And this, not only is this how you do a foot sweep, this is how you do a foot sweep when it doesn't move off the first touch. Yeah. So there's <laughs> there's me delivering a little masterclass to you. I could talk ages about I'm vi- I visualize it in my head. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is you've had to change the way that you do things from support from your support normal supporting leg to your other one because I could sweep with both. Yeah. Until I did my knee, and now when I try and sweep with my knee, when I try to put the power through, so when I take that little hop step, I can't generate that force with my right leg, even though it's not the supporting one. So, like, my knee just flexes. I can feel it flex. In yeah. a way, it shouldn't that's not be. nice, isn't it? When you it's horrible. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I've got to rely on this knee as well. So, like, so I couldn't, I could only do the original sweep. I couldn't follow up with the push through anymore. Was this before you did the other one? Was this? Yes, yeah, this is before I did oh. the other one. <laughs> one, one. Once, once I'd done this one, that was that's game over, mate. Yeah, yeah. Now, Baza, get that down there, mate. Well, do you know what? I've been doing loads, been doing loads, and now as soon as I could kneel on my knees, because to start with, the, the knees were really painful. The fronts of my knees were painful. So I couldn't, but, but the thing is when I did my second one, it was end of February. Right. So we were coming into coronavirus anyway. Yeah. So I was like, well, yeah, that's that. I mean, what once <laughs> it's funny because I, you know, I, I got to, I got into like the top 40 on the Olympic ranking and, and I was just getting better and better and better. And, oh man, 13 grand. That's how much I've spent over the last 12 months. You know, didn't you? Re- you've re well. You requalified, didn't you? Did you requalify for the Olympics this year? No, I didn't qualify for nothing, mate. I thought you did. I've got, I've got with the with the wins that I've got that will qualify me for the Commonwealth Games. Oh, okay, yeah, that's probably what I was looking at then. But if I don't get my knees fixed in time, I can't do that either. Yeah. So, well, there's a good chance. Maybe when would the Commonwealth Games be run next year? Be in the summer, wouldn't it? Not 2022. Oh, is it 2022? Yeah. So you'd be 41? 40. Easy tiger, bloody hell. No, Mate, I'm, th- I'm 39. I just so. turned 37. Oh, 37? Just turned 37, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you got just, plenty just of time. A, just a young sprog for you, mate, you know what I mean? <laughs> young sprog. <laughs> I'd pipe around young sprog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you got to live your life, haven't you? Exactly. You mate. know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, you, you look at how I started all this, and, and that's just... The whole thing's was fucking mental. Well, well, let's go back to that. So, you, where, where did you grow up? Wigan. Wigan? Lancashire. Ah, rugby right. country. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I played rugby... What, 10, 11? Yeah, I played rugby. We used to play down at Old Rugby Union. Used to be a, a big old coach, Joe. It's fucking huge. I don't know his last name. It's funny when you think back to to like being a kid and you never asked last names. You never, you know what I mean? You just didn't question anything. Well, I didn't anyway, but and yeah, I used to play rugby, rugby, union, rugby union down there. Played a bit of rugby league as well. Um, joined, uh, got to the end of school and I was like, I want to join the Royal Marines. You know, I, I didn't get the grades I should have done. And I think my mum and dad were a bit disappointed. A bit disappointed in myself as well. Because like, I don't know. I just I had a lot I had a lot of shit going on in my head at that point, and I got bullied at school and stuff for being a bit out out like like you know you know when dogs are small and they've got massive paws, but then they've got little legs, and it's kind of like that. And I you hadn't grown into your chassis. I hadn't yet. grown into it at all, mate. Like people look at me now <laughs> and they're like, you know, man, your fucking shoulders on you and that. But like I didn't have any of that. Like when I when I passed out of training, I was like ninety seven kilos, and like within. I would say a couple of months, I'd I'd just I just literally just blew up to 110. Why did you uh, Why did you join the Marines in the first place? So I, I, do you know what this This is a great story in its own. So I didn't get the grades I was supposed to, and I'm looking around, and army as an officer was what they basically said. With the grades I've got, you can go and join the army as an officer. And I was like, okay, and um, my mate Danny. Danny Birchall, he's he's a he's a little guy, fucking crazy sprinter. Um, we were we were we were kind of sporty, but we were geeks at the same time. So it was like we had our own little group. We weren't with the cool kids, and we weren't with the proper geeks. We just kind of floated about in the middle, and like, yeah, we we went along to this careers day, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going to look at the army thing, you know, I'm going to look at the army thing, and you know, but my my direct family doesn't, they've got no military ties, but my my granddad's father, he was an RSM in the army. And like, you know, my dad was in the police and stuff. And, you know, there's, there's, there's always been people in service and stuff. And, and and the whole pension thing, you know, I thought to myself, well, what? They're only going to get me to work till I'm 40. That doesn't sound like a bad deal, does it? You know? And I was like, so I was like, pension, good wage. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to, well, at the time you would think they wouldn't be calling numbers or anything. You know, obviously that changed over time, but, you know, you, you specialise yourself and stuff and it's, it's a pretty secure job, isn't it? You know, you get your holidays, you get paid. It's it's pretty secure. Medical, dental, the whole, you know, the whole shebang. So I was like, right, I'm in on the military. Didn't want to do the Navy. Just float about on a, on a boat. No, not, not not for me, like. And uh, so, I got, so I got to this careers convention with my mate Danny, right? And Danny... I think, I mean, Danny was looking at university and shit because he was, he was, he was smarter than I was. He was very good. He was very good at maths and all that, you know, and like, he was looking at stuff like that. And we, he came over to me to this, this, this army recruiting table and they had this massive banner and all this shit. And it was like, oh yeah, it looks really good. That does, you know, and this guy was like, yeah, with your grades, you know, make you an officer and blah, blah, pay and blah, blah. And, and I was like, yes, yeah, sounds great. And and just as we just we walked away from the table, and there's this old Matlow, really like grizzly looking, 
had a tash, all grey. And he went, lad, over here. <laughs> Me and Danny. It's like, it's like we walked into a trap. Me and Danny walked to this table and he goes, so you're talking to them over there. How would you like to be the hardest, baddest person on the planet? I was like, fucking right, you know? And then he spent 20 minutes giving me this spiel. At the end of the spiel, my mate Danny wanted to join up. It wasn't just wasn't just me. Both was like, yeah, we're in, we're in, you know? And it was like, you know, the fucking helicopter, fast roping and fucking all this stuff. And you're just like, hell yeah, you know? Hardest basic training on the, in the world and all that. And you're like, fuck yeah. You know, there, there I was, not didn't get the grades that I, I should have got, and it gave me an opportunity to prove I was worth something, you know, and yeah, massive, massive thing. So threw myself into that. Mum had a fit. <laughs> She's like, because I was the youngest as well. So my brother's two years older than me. And my mum was like, no, no, no. Oh, God. And like, I was totally pushing for it. And she's like, because I wanted to just go straight for it. As soon as I finished going, she's like, you are not going. I, I refuse to sign you over until you've been to college. And and she was kind of hoping I'd go to college and find girls and just get pulled away, you know? And I was like, nah, focused. Totally focused. And then um, they called me up. I, I went in. Oh, my God. Here's a story for you. Oh, my God. So I go to the careers office, right? And I am so brand new. It's unbelievable. I, I, I just... As a kid growing up, I believe what mum and dad said. I did as I was told, you know what I mean? So I rocked up to this, this this careers office, right? And they gave us a training program, right? So I went away and did this training program. Like, you know what I mean? I was so committed to it. And then we comes back in for a how you doing sort of moment. And sat there next to this other bloke. And um, this this Navy fucking Matt LaWarrant obviously leaned up. So, so how you been doing? Oh yeah, yeah, great, blah blah blah. And he goes, "What what time have you been running on your runs?" And this guy next to me, he's like, "Yeah, I've been doing four and a half minute miles." And of course, at this point, my jaw just dropped, and I thought, "Fuck me, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm in the wrong place." I was like, "I couldn't run a four minute mile. I wanted to." And at which point, I didn't know this, but obviously, the guy behind the table, he was knew he's bullshitting. I didn't. So there's me putting more effort in. I'm trying to damn this to run faster. I was doing like, I think they put us on to three or five mile runs. And mate, I'm sprinting this run as fast as I can. I'm still not clearing anywhere near what this guy said he was doing. But I didn't know, you know what I mean? I didn't know. And and no one told me that that was a ridiculous time. It's only now when I look back. And I, I proper shat myself because I was like, fuck, is this what I've got to do? Is this what I need to do? So I trained. I trained as hard as I possibly could. I was still doing my rugby and stuff, but then in between I was running and, oh my God. And then, they, and then out of nowhere, so I did that, passed all the, passed all the written stuff and, and they had me on a waiting list. And then out, out of the blue, so I'd, I'd gone to college, I'd gone to St. Helens. I was playing with uh, rugby league, St. Helens Rugby League Academy. And um, they, out of the blue, they were like, boom, do you want to be in, oh God, what was it? It was like, I keep thinking December 10th. I can't remember the bloody date. I think it was like 10th of December or 11th of December, something like that. And they were like, can you do that? And it was like, it was like four weeks away. And of course, I've gone home to my mom. And I've gone, they've got a place for me. And she was like, I thought you were enjoying college. <laughs> you know what I mean? I says, mom, I'm 17, I'm going. 
I need you, I just need you to sign on the line. And my dad was like, we'll support you in whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'm fucking hit him. <laughs> so at that point, like, yeah, yeah. Signed on the dotted line. He went and went and dropped me off. And uh, you know, train station jobby as you do. Yeah. And uh I'll never forget my mum. My mum was like, Don't go, you won't make it. Oh really? Yeah. But and you know what? That 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 kind of drove me on like massively. But then but then I've had I've had other people tell me, but you know, she obviously didn't mean that. She was probably just thinking, I don't want to lose my baby, you know what I mean? And like uh, some people say stuff to me and I'll I'll take it personal, I'll take it deep, you know. And then it's only when someone else sort of says to me, Well, what about this? You know, what maybe they were thinking this or whatever, and you know, you've got to sort of reevaluate. You know, text messages are the worst, aren't they? Because someone sends you a text message and there's no feeling in that text well, message. There's no context. Yeah, and you can't say, you know what I mean? So like a lot a lot of the time, like I I don't I don't like joke with people and stuff. Like when I go working, I go serious. And that way, there's no, there's no misunderstanding, because if I'm serious, you become serious, and then the job gets done, and there's no misunderstanding because we're being professional. We're being. My few fucking straight. told me was something to do. I'd fucking do it because I want one of them sausage fingers on me. <laughs> uh, but but then you know different times. I mean, when I joined the Marines, I I I, <laughs> I wasn't it wasn't smooth when I joined the Corps. I mean, Christ, yeah. Well, you joined, what, a couple of years after I did, didn't I? 2000, yeah. So you joined 2000? 2000, mate. I actually joined the same same year, yeah. Joined 2000, 800 troop, and... Yeah, so we were the, we were were the end of like a, I would call it an old school era. I've spoke to some older, old school people and they wouldn't call it old school. No, they wouldn't. But you 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 get my drift. They always call it that. Do you know what, right? I have to say, I look back at some of the shit that went down on... uh, it was great. It was great. But at the same time, all the people. So, I, it's, I <laughs> fucking hell. So, yeah. So, I joined with 800 troop. And uh, I ended up passing out with 804. And um, just misunderstood. Loads of effort. Loads of effort. Put loads of effort in. But then on other things, because I was putting effort into that, I then couldn't. And like, I got I got back treated off Hunter's Moon. I was running down a tank track with a full Bergen with extra supplies and two laws on my back. And pitch black, foot went down a, went down a pole and 90 degree my ankle. Finished the yomp, limping. And the, the, the training team took my boot off. It was the worst thing they could have done. I know that now. They took my boot off to have a look at my ankles went... Yeah, I tore tore a bunch of ligaments and stuff, and I was like, "I'm very, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to carry on. Let's just strap it up or something." And they were like, "Nah, you're done. You, you're done." And because that was Hunter's Moon, it was a, you know, it was a sign off exercise. You know, yeah, had, it was, it was one of the navigational done. exercises. Yeah, yeah, it was. That's not the word I'm thinking for. It's the the certain exercises you have to do and you have to complete. Well, there, there were in back in that time. There were there were criteria criteria exercises that's that you had to hit. Before had to you hit. Got... Had to complete. Yeah. I completed the yomp. I didn't complete the exercise. So therefore, boom, back trooped. And like they were good to let me go, but at the same time they were like, just fi- fix yourself. You've been great. Fucking bash on, you know. Um, and went back. Missed eight or two. Went eight or three. Did most of the rest of it with eight or three, 
and um, I got back trooped from 803. So we just completed, we just completed life hill firing and we only had pass out week to go. And we're at the bar <laughs> at the Rangers and everyone else is shite as rolling about. Uh, even, well, yeah, well, well, I'll not, I'll not spare too much, but the general gist is, is that our troop boss at the time came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, recruit Sherrington, how old are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 in three days, sir. And he was absolutely off his tits. He was fucking ruined. And he went, give me a pint. He just gripped me up and started throwing me over the bar. Because next thing you know, the train, the training team comes in and breaks it all up. And I was just like, what the fuck has just gone on? You know, because my, my mum and dad were always like, you know, if you're feeling a bit flat and a bit low, you've probably got a low iron count. Have a Guinness. <laughs> so I was sat at a fucking bar. Quite, I was there on my own, completely away from it. Everyone else is rolling about. You know what I mean? And I'm, I was just there on my own. And he fucking gripped me up and dragged me off the back of the chair and that. And like, as a young lad, I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I was like, ah! Because <laughs> I was doing as I was told. You know what I mean? I didn't even have a chance to say anything. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck. So he dragged me off the back of the chair. And then we got back to camp the next day. And um, Sergeant Gunn was like, Sharon, where the fuck are you going? And I was like, I'm back troops out of him. And he's like, no, you're fucking not. He walked back in the office. And at 10 minutes later, he comes back out and goes, well, lads, sometimes things just happen and you just need to just crack on with it. I was like, okay. Got back to 8 4. Went through live fire again. No worries. Fucking passed all that. Did pass out. And then, yeah. When did you uh, when did you start judo? Did you do that before you joined the corps? Or is it something you started afterwards? So I, I was rugby, right? But rugby was on like it was Tuesdays and Thursdays and and sometimes Wednesdays and like you know through the through the years we we had because as you get older you go to different groups and different groups train at different points, you know the 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 coaches had to do different days or whatever. But in my mind, mum and dad wanted Friday, <laughs> and you know why they wanted Friday. Friday was their night. Yeah, yeah. So they used to send us to judo, and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. My brother was really good at it. And he used to, you know, he used to beat me up. <laughs> Not like, you know, fighting, but actual judo, you know, he was very good. And, um, yeah, they, they, they basically punt, punt us off for three hours on a Friday so they could have some nookie time. You know what I mean? As you would do. Actually, like now, looking back, I was like, yeah, no, fair play. Yeah, go and get your nookie. You know what I mean? you got these two massive kids that are like food dragons and like, <laughs> you know, and they run about making all this noise, you know. And they but and they're really both sporty and all your time's taken up doing motorcycle trials or like rugby or you know and and then the judo came in because on a Friday three hours on a Friday so I did that for a couple of years hated it and got out got out of it as soon as I could it was just really hard it was a really hard thing and the instructor was very strict he used to get us line up and he'd hold our hands out and if our nails were too long or he thought they were too long we don't do press ups and shit and like a little bit of dirt or something, anything, you know. And as a young kid, of course, you're going to fall foul of this. You know what I mean? So you're doing star jumps and you're doing press-ups. It was horrible. And my brother beat me up. And I'd go home and like, yeah, just, I hate that. I hate that. It's not good. But then after you join the core, you know, you, you tend to gravitate towards things that are a bit harder. And, you know, and at that point, I was, you know. I, I, so we joined the core, passed out of training, and they basically said to us, 
There's not enough blokes in the court at the moment. You're not going to be able to go to a fighting unit as what you want. You've got to pick a trade. And I was like, fuck, well, I don't want to be a driver. I don't want to be... And I'd been building motorbikes for years with my dad in the garage. So for me, mechanicum was just like, yeah, no worries. So picked picked a VM, went for the pay. You know, I, I was looking long-term anyway. And the reality is, you know, running about like a lunatic, especially, you know... Especially after we did Iraq and that. Like, Iraq, for me, was like, fucking hell. Because I'm six foot five. I'm I'm a little bit clumsy, you know. I'm a little bit... I'm very hands-on. I'm loud. And, like, i got size 15 feet, for Christ's sake. I'm a bit of a mind magnet, really, aren't I? You know what I mean? Send the big man out, he'll clear it. Fucking hell. Just, you know, and you, you, you think, you say to yourself, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I passed training, but... Am I am I the ultimate soldier? Am I the ultimate commander? Am I fuck? I can't run. I can't run as fast as people, you know. And I can lug weight. Yeah, that's great. But the reality is, you know, I'm far from the ideal size shape. I mean, if I get shot, right, like, like right now, I'm 140 kilo. Who the, who the hell's gonna casi at me? Nobody, because they'll all get shot trying to move me. You know what I mean? It's funny. I was chatting to someone recently and. A guy I was, uh, a guy who I went to my first my first unit after I'd done my VMs course was CLR, and I went there and there's a big guy called Danny Keo, you might know him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, me and Danny had all these. Me and him, we we, we kind of gravitated towards the big blokes, and and we had these little like, oh man, we, we we had such a good time. We went out to Egypt doing diving, right? And um, two, you know, and we got the female instructor, mate. And she was hot, older woman, hot. And me and Danny were trying our best. Last night, two you know, two big guys trying to give it big ones. Gets to the last night, we're, we're all having beers in this uh, this resort, you know, because we're getting our thing. And of course, we both we both done dance, and I'd done salsa, and he he, he was doing all this stuff. And of course, we're we're, we're basically dance, we're basically we're being monkeys. We're hanging from the chandeliers trying to impress this chick. And what does Danny Keo do, mate? starts doing backflips down the balloon dance floor doesn't he and i was just like i'm done i can't i can't i can't do that danny keo right he, he oh my god his party trick right so i always just took the piss out of him because he he's got he's got little joints and i always took the piss out of that but he was he was you know he's an older lad older than me and he was just he was just more mature you know but fuck me athletic or what he so he could sit in a chair with arms on it right and he'd pick his bum up off the off the deck, straighten his leg out, pick his bum, and he'd rotate up into a handstand. And you just like, what? What's what's my answer to that? You know what I mean? How 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 do, how do I compete with that? Kick the chair away. Oh mate, it's, it's just, <laughs> just like you just sat there going, my god, you know. And that's the thing, you know, you you you're in there, and you've all passed this training, right? But but some people are just genuinely better than others. You get some guys who could just run, like. Like they had no body weight, and then you got other guys who could, who are super strong. They can lift really heavy, and you know, and you and you you're you're around all these superhuman people, and it's just yeah, you just try and find your place. But yeah, so Danny did, so Danny does backflips down the dance floor, right? And at that point, you know, her waters broke, <laughs> and um, the thing the thing that still makes me laugh about that night is so he did that, and I was like, right, I'm out, I'm out, I've lost this. And then he kept drinking, and then he tried to do it again, and he landed funny and twisted his, I don't know, his ankle, isn't he? But I was kind of sat there going, that fucking serves you right, you know? 
<laughs> it's just he's blonded, blue eyed, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah. Oh god, we're doing we're on this boat and it was a double deck boat out in Egypt. And there's like let's do backflips off the top deck and I'm just like, oh no. You know what I mean? I'm the guy that'll do a backflip on a on a, a trampoline I land face first, you know what I mean? And I was just like, oh. But I did it, I did it. But he was doing like you know the ones where they sort of they sort of jump backwards off it and like twist. You just you, yeah, just you just like if I jump, so he's jumped, he's jumped like backwards with it like that, and my face had just hit the boat on the way down. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. I'm just, I'm not that coordinated. The way the way I put it is, so I, I do, I do mechanics, and I do, I fix my own motorbikes. I built cars from scratch and stuff. And if you need mechanic in doing and things making, I can, I'm, I'm very good. I can make things work, and engineering wise, I can, I can see how things go together. But if you want paint work, I'm not your guy, because I'll put things together and it'll be structurally sound. But it ain't going to be pretty. You know what I mean? It's going to do the job 110%. But it's not going to be... I'm not going to... And also, I'm not going to sit there and go around a car with a special lamp which finds that little bit that no one else is ever going to... You know, I'm just not that guy. I'm not a detail guy. I'm not like a... You know, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. want to know what works. I want to know how I can make it work better. And, you know, once it works, I can make it work better. I can make it efficient. Job's done, you know. I'm not. I'm not going to buff it up. <laughs> no, I've never been mechanically minded. So you, you, you talk about let's go old school catalytic converters and stuff like that. That's not old school, mate. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have a clue. I think I can just about change a light bulb on my car and uh, what else? Blow it up. I can blow the tires up. I can definitely do that. <laughs> I can fill it up. That, that that's for sure. That, that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh man, I've uh, I picked up an electric car. Have you? Oh my god, mate! The money saving is ridiculous. Yeah, but I've been told about that. Ridiculous, mate! Oh my god! So I've just covered. So I, I bought this electric car in March, just as COVID was kicking in, because I was like, right, I'm gonna have one of my knees is gonna be done at one time. If I've got an automatic, I can I can drive. And about two years ago, I was like, so I do all my own workshop servicing and stuff, right? Because that, that's what I do. That's why I'm qualified. I'm a qualified engineer to do that. But even with all those, you know, just paying for the parts and stuff, it's still costing. It's still... So I had this little crappy Lupo. And, and it was bomb-proof. Absolutely bomb-proof, right? Uh, Non-turbo diesel. Did 60 mile per gallon on the motorways. Just... You could tow with it and everything. It's just... Used to put my motorbike on the back. And I'd, I'd, I'd trundle about in this thing, getting really good mile per gallon and that. But this electric car, mate, blowing it out of the water getting about 250 mile per gallon my my friend bought one um because he used to work for fly b as an engineer and um he obviously got made redundant during during the lockdown and all that and um he he bought this he had a big toyota um what was it called uh, not hilux like Land, Land Cruiser. Oh, Land Cruiser, yeah. It was like his dream car when he learned to drive. He wanted a big tire. Yeah. He's a big lad as well. Like, you know, he's probably about as tall as you. Um, yes, he's a big he's a big old unit. And then uh, he got a job working for a company called Gulfstream. Yeah. Um, but the uh, airstrip where he works is in Fairham. And his mother-in-law works there. So he had to, you know, drive there. So yeah. having this big Land Cruiser Bad was just going to, yeah, absolutely rape his bank account. So they bought this hybrid car and he's telling me like he puts £40 a month in and does like, what, 
three, four hundred miles. And I'm like that. Oh, I need one of them. But then I'm like, okay, I've got no money to buy one. Mm. <laughs> and that's the thing. Oh, so that electric car, I did, I did a rough costing. So to run the Lupo at 60 miles per gallon, to do eight and a half thousand miles, it would have cost me like 1,100 quid to do eight and a half thousand miles. And I worked out 15 pence per kilowatt, which is what I paid for the electric car. And uh, at that, we're looking at 180 quid. However, half of my charges are free. I go to Tesco and that, and I'll, you know, I'll go and do a shop or whatever, and I'll have a cup of tea or whatever. So, like, you can quite easily, quite easily cut that down to probably 100 quid. So you're talking 100 quid versus 1,100 quid. It's crazy, isn't it? And it, it goes further than that. There's no engine, so there's no engine oil, no filter, no air filter. There's no gearbox. There's oh, so no, you've got you've got no, 100% electric. 100%. Then. There's no point going halfway because you've got the you've got the benefit and the downfall. You still the, you've still got to do the service on it. You still got to do a cam belt on it. You still got to do catalytic converter exhaust. You know, and the electric car has none of that. It is unbelievable. Brake pads are going to last about ninety thousand miles on the first set because the braking is done ninety percent by regen. So the the, end, the the electric motor, when it when it gets pushed, the way it wants to go, it starts to generate electricity. It turns into a generator. Okay, pushes. so it's, it's like the alternator. So then. if I said to you, you're going to buy this car, right? The amount that you're spending on fuel alone, that you're currently spending on fuel, is going to pay for the car after five years. And not only that, every hill you go down, some twat's going to run alongside and put more fuel in for you. You'd be like, what? I'm like, yeah. Literally, every hill you go down, you hit your region in, and it starts putting charge back into the battery. There's no, I mean, I, I, I had a big, I, so usually it's 65 quid for a service on that Ionic, but I had a big service this time around. That That's changed the air conditioning filter. <laughs> just, it just blows your mind. So they just blew it out a little bit. No, they just put it away, but it's like a tenner for a filter. Oh, you know it? what I mean? So that's nothing. And like, you know, 90,000 miles for the first set of brake pads. 90,000 miles. It's pretty cool though, isn't it's it? It's unbelievable, mate. It's just, the whole thing's unbelievable. Like my my whole living with it, you know, I, I do crazy miles because I'm always training and stuff and I travel places and, and like, oh, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, and it, like, so there's a free rapid charger in Wales. So I can get from Barnstable round to Wales, bottom of Wales, Free rapid charge, and that takes me three quarter way up to mum and dad's. So the general gist is, is like I went to mum and dad's, and it cost me eight quid to Wigan and back. Eight quid, mate. And at that point, you're like, if I told you go to this petrol station because it's free, you're going to, aren't you? Along with everyone else. <laughs> exactly. But this is the thing. It's just, it's mind blowing, mate. Free. It's absolutely free. Definitely going to have to look into it then, right? But honestly, mate, like I went to France. I went all the way down to France and back on a, 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 a go doing um, archery stuff over there, shooting things that move. And um cost me 20 quid to France and back. That's cool. And and I paid for the expensive charges over there as well. And at that point, you're like, fuck, you know. And, and so electric cars. So you buy a new normal car. Five years later, it's worth half the price. No matter what car it is, it's always worth half the price. Electric car, you only drop two or three grand, even with mileage put on it. 
because there's demand for them. There's not enough of them. Now is the time to buy. Zero Rotax. So a mate of mine, he's got, he's got a, a it was like a, a, a Citroen, like disabled van thing, Bolingo thing, you know, with the windows in the back and all that. And and his, his road tax alone is 200, 240 quid or something. And I was like, mate, your bill for your tax is more than I'll spend on fuel the whole year. And it's just, and, and like, don't get me wrong, there's, there's you're going to spend, you know, instead of a five minute fuel up, you're going to spend 15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes to, to charge the car. You know, if you're rapid charging, that thing will charge almost to full in like 30 minutes. So 30 minutes and then you're back on the road again. You'll get, you know, I, if if I'm doing like city driving, I get 150 plus miles. If I'm on the motorway, I'll tend to do about 110 and then I'll I'll, I'll be needing a, a pee break and a stop by then. So I'll pull in and charge up. But the general is it's on the motorway because you, you, you're traveling faster. Um, there's more. The only thing that stops electric cars is wind resistance. So if you imagine in a normal in a normal petrol car, driving around town is the worst place to be, isn't it? Because you yeah. you revving the clutch, you're not really getting anywhere. All that power is just being wasted. Loads and loads of fuels going in. You're getting no mile per gallon. Electric cars are the way around. You get your best in town, moving at slow speeds because there's no wind resistance. So like my best I've had is 170 miles to one charge on that car, which cost me like three quid if I paid for it, which I didn't. Because I charge for free at I mean, Tesco's or Asda. Because Tesco, Asda and Barcelona, they got a seven kilowatt charger there. Okay. So it charges the car to full in about five hours. But what you do is, every time you go in for milk, you plug it in, you get a charge. You do this, you get a charge, you know. It builds up. I don't have a driveway. I'm on the street. And most people are like, oh, I can't get electric car because I haven't got parking. And I'm like, well, I don't have parking. If you've got a driveway, oh my God, it's easy. Because you just the government will give you a grant for, you know, three hundred and fifty to five hundred quid to stick it on your driveway, and every night you just plug it in, and like it, it'll be fully charged by the time you leave every day. You'll never need to visit a petrol station again, and and it's it's so clean, it's unbelievable how clean it is. You fill up at the pump, you get diesel on your hands, you get it, you smell the smell hits you as you. When you start driving an electric car, you forget all about this until I go to fill my motorbike up. And I'm like, ooh, oh, it's so dirty. And it's like, and, and and it's so expensive. I go to fill my motorbike. I mean, my motorbike's my fun. So my car gets me from A to B. And for me, if, if it can do it cheaper, the better. And like the crazy thing about Ionic is I'm going to put 60,000 miles on that thing over the next three to four years. And I'll still get, I, pay, I paid 19 for it. And at the end of the period, I'll still get like 16 for it. Even though I've booked 60 plus thousand miles on it, I'll still get 16 for it. And it's like all that money you're putting into it, you're actually going to get back. Yeah. And all that money you've saved on fuel, you're going to get back. And like, if you if you imagine every time you went to a person, you just burn the money right in front of your face, just burned it. Because that's what you're doing. Where with the electric car, if you, so say for instance, you spend 120 quid a month on fuel, doing whatever you do, well, that will pay for a 10 grand electric car. And at the end of that five-year period, they will give you that money back because you'll get that car for the price of your fuel. At that point, it's like if I said, I said to a mate of mine, if I said to you, just just change your car, give me your fuel money, and at the end of it, I'll give you the car back. It'll be yours. I'll sign it over to you. All you've got to do is give me your fuel money and I will give you the car at the end of it. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah. And I said, and your road tax that you're paying? That 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 will fuel the car on its own, you know. That, there'd be more, there'd be more than you need, 
the average person, it's like, and the other thing is, is so when you're driving your car around town, you're getting 20 mile per gallon or whatever. You know what I mean? Stop, start traffic lights, stuck in traffic, blah, blah, blah. Electric car, it only, it only, it only puts in what it uses to move. So like, if you imagine it takes, I, I don't know, let's just say it takes three kilowatts to move a foot. It doesn't, but we'll just, we'll just put a number on it. It takes three kilowatts to move a foot. So if I'm going to move six foot, yeah, it takes three times six. Now in a petrol car, it's not like that. If you're traveling at 70 mile an hour, you'll get your 60 mile per gallon. So, you know, that that three foot, you know, if you're traveling at 70, let's say that will co- take you take you six, six watts. That's just as a, as a number. However, if you're traveling slow in traffic, that six then turns into 20 or 30 because the engine's constantly turning over. It's constantly, it's still burning, even when you're not doing anything. Electric car, if you don't touch that pedal, it doesn't do nothing. It just sits there. Mate, I want to pull us back to... Uh, oh, tangents, pull, mate. Pull, pull us back to the judo. Oh. <laughs> nah, we, so, we don't want to talk about that. Why do you want to talk about that? We went from talking about judo to talking about... Too many stories, mate. Yeah. Too, too many stuff. Too much so, interesting stuff. You, you went up to CLI. You didn't like doing judo when you were when you were younger with, with your brother and stuff. So yeah. what made you come back to it? Why did you want to get back into it? So we did Iraq. We did the invasion of Iraq. And when I got back, I was a little bit off. off. <laughs> I, I wasn't quite all there, to be fair. And I don't remember it. I got an eight grand car loan. And I blew it on the piss in about four months. Out with the boys, fucking... I had, I had some some unfortunate circumstances. You know, you, you join the Royal Marines because you want to be with the best and you want to be, the you know, with the professional people and you want to all be the same level, even though you're not. You know, you want to be a higher tier level and you all want to function at that level and you want to be part of the group. Now, the problem with becoming a VM is they stuck you a CLR. And CLR, it's 50-50 army marines however all the all the the officers that you get are army officers so i was in v troop which is you know it, it it's a it's a bootneck squadron mm-hmm. but there's army officers in charge you and stuff and it just they didn't know what they were doing they were young officers they had no idea and when they've got experienced people asking them questions why the fuck isn't this done why the fuck isn't that done they were like shit, and they had to ask the people above them. You know what I mean? So there were certain circumstances we were put in. Like the, the one that the one that really sort of really kind of I think I think it it made me want to do something else. Was we were we were just we were getting ready to go over the over the line, with, you know, whole fucking NBC shit going on, and being the size I am, they didn't have another suit for me. The boots I had were 17 years old. The gloves I had were 17 years old. The suit was over 17 years old, but it's still good until you take it out of the packet. When you take it out of the packet, it's 24 hours and it's fucking done. And it doesn't matter how much you wear it or whatever. As soon as you open that packet, the carbon starts to fall off inside the suit. Now, they had us digging fucking... We were digging fucking, you know, our little fucking trenches and shit and all that bollocks, which is which is fine. And then they, they wanted us to start doing NBC drills. And of course, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't crack it open. And there was, and this is the thing, this is the difference between the core, the Marines would go, well, why not? What's, what's the problem? You know what I mean? They go, why won't you? Army didn't do that. Boss walks up to me and goes, put your suit on now. And I was like, I'm not putting my suit on. I says, there's only one in the whole affair. No, there isn't. 
put your suit on. I says, it fucking is. Because I've spoken to the TQ and I've spoken, and, and I, I've had this problem before. I've had this problem with other kit, trying to get boots for Norway. I ended up not being able to do Norway because they couldn't get me size 15 ski march boots. So they wouldn't even let me go out on the ground. So we're there in the middle of the desert. We're supposed to be doing an invasion. They want to start doing NBC drills. And I'm like, I've got one suit and that's it. I'm not opening that packet. And next thing you know, the whole hierarchy comes out, all pongos, and they're all poking me in the chest. And of course, I'm fucking six foot five. I know that I'm right. And Bootneck Sergeant Major comes over. He goes, Chris, why are you putting suit? I says, they've only got one in fucking theatre. I'm not cracking this fucking packet. Because if we go over there and I'm the one guy, I mean, I'm the worst person to go down with something, aren't I? Imagine I get gassed and then people go, fucking carry me. I mean, back then I was like 110, 115 kilo. So lighter than I am now, but still fucking unit. Especially when you put your web in, your, your weapon, your bergen, your fucking... I was just like, nah, not doing it. So next thing you know, it all fucking kicked off. And Sergeant Major's like, Chris, just do yourself a favor. Start pulling stuff out your bergen like you're going to put it on. I was like, okay, I'll slowly start pulling stuff out. And then next thing you know, a guy comes running out the fucking radio tent going... Everyone take your kit off. Everyone take your kit off. I, and it, it turned out that they hadn't actually put through that they were going to be doing NBC drills. So, of course, you've got our little fucking group masking up. And the group next to us is going, why the fuck are they? What the fuck are they doing? You know what I mean? So then it came back with a bunch of idiots. Fucking get all your gear off. And But, of course, at that point, you know. And the, th- the funny thing was, is I was stood there in front of a major going, I'm putting a fucking suit on. And the other lads that were with me, who were older Marines, they were looking around going, fucking hell, he's fucking right. And you think about all the times we've had problems with supplies and stuff like that, you know, out in these areas. And I was fucking 110% right. But they didn't want to know why. They didn't want to know the why. <laughs> so when you got back from there, is that when you decided that you just needed a change of scenery or you needed I was some clucking, mate. It? Yeah. I was clucking. They, they, those, the tablets and stuff they had us on out there, uh, a lot of lads didn't take them. I did because I was told to take it. And, mate, I was tripping like fuck when I got back. You know, there was, uh, I think, there was part of it was speed, wasn't it? Because it's to keep the heart rate up. The NAPS tablets, they're designed to keep your heart rate higher so that when you get hit with this stuff, it keeps your heart rate higher. And I was just tweaked to fuck. Was, you know, mixture of stress. I'm looking at these guys who are charging me. They're supposed to know what they're doing. They clearly fucking don't and just stress 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 young lad i i joined a corps because these fuckers know what they're talking about and they're all switched on and you know and and you you have that thought when you you know when you're a young lad i trust these guys and these guys broke my trust so i'm fucking so i got back uh got on it heavily you know like way too heavily and i needed to vent so i started playing went back to playing rugby for the corps i mean so i passed out of training right and like one week later I goes down to, I can't remember, it was the Argyle Bowl or whatever, it was in Plymouth. And uh, we, we goes down there and we're doing training. Of course, I'm still remembering 12 months before when I was playing for St. Helens Rugby League Academy team, you know, which isn't top level training, but it's it's decent level. So, of course, I'm shouting for the ball. I'm being proactive. I'm I'm, I'm asking, you know, and I'm getting competitive as I always do. You know, you, you can hear it in my voice now. Yeah, yeah. I get competitive. I get, I get into it. I get very focused. So, of course... Some lads took a dislike into this. So, <laughs> so they poured a bucket of sick over me while I was sleeping and tipped my bed up. <laughs> and so they, so they imagine a bed with a headboard on it, right? 
and, and a surround lockers. So they've tipped me up, they've chucked the, chucked the sick over me, they've tipped me up onto the headboard. I'm sat on the headboard inside that cutout in the locker, so I can't push the fucking bed down. So they made a clear getaway, and of course, I was fuming. But it was just, it was that misunderstanding. It was a misunderstanding, you know. Like, I'm, I'm there being gobby, being hands-on, because I want to win. And I want to win, and I want to do it, and I want to, you know, I want us to win. And I'm not... I'm not being gobby to sort of put people's noses out a joint or like, you know, and that's, that's a, always something I, people who train with me for a long time, they learned that, yeah, I'm full on and stuff, but the respect that I get from people who train with me, because I never give up, I always train hard, and when you when you up it a level, I'll up it with you, and well, we'll keep going. Well, you can hear just the way that you're talking about things. And yeah, you are flying off all over the place. Yeah. However, but whatever you're talking about, these things that you're talking about, they are things that you're passionate about. And that's why, you, you know, when, when you talk about relating things like judo, whether it's um, being a mechanic, whether it's bow hunting, whether it's whatever, if it's something that you're interested in, you start getting passionate about, and that's when you can talk about things for a long time. Now, yeah. I've known you for a while, and the first time we met, I'm not going to lie. I met you before that. Probably, <laughs> but we won't go on to that yet. Um, I was kind of, you, you, you came into the gym, and you just come off the end of, uh, I think it was 2014. 2014, winning the Commonwealth, yeah. Yeah, so you just come back from there. Um, and I was in a bad place then. Yeah, well, you 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 come in, you like, yeah, this is me, you know, I'm awesome. But I think what it was is because of the way that you are, you just come across as like being very forthright, and, uh, and to some people, it can it can put them out a little bit. Yeah. Now I know you now. Yeah. And I'm just here to help. Yeah, and <laughs> and I know you don't mean any harm behind it, and yeah. it's just your personality. But there are lots and lots of people like you that have passion and that passion overruns with enthusiasm and then that enthusiasm can think fucking hell this bloke's a bit of a chopper yeah but it's not that at all but my my point being with the re the, the way that you are and the way that you've been successful with your competition um you know winning a gold in the commonwealth games you know going to the olympics at london um f for gb judo the reason why you've got to that point and being in the military at the same time is because you're passionate and you're dedicated to what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, and and at the end of the day, it's your life. Yeah, and you've so got to live it. Who gives a fuck what anybody else thinks? Yeah. So if you're happy doing that and other people aren't because they don't understand you, well, that's not your problem. Yeah. That's their problem, you know? Very true. Very uh, true. Um, and And... Like, if you'd ever, if you ever end up on a on a on a camp with me, where you roll for like a week, you would see people start to change their thoughts and attitudes. So if we took all the people that don't like me, and we know there's a few, and we put them on a training camp with me, and when they see my work ethic, and 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 a, a big problem for me is ninety percent of the time I'm holding back, and like when you get me on a camp with high level players then you see what I'm really capable of. Because I unload at that point. Because I can. I feel... I, 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 I cannot unload on someone who is a much lower grade or someone who isn't as skilled. Because I feel bad. 
you know? And part of that's being a big bloke. And the thing that really grinds me is when when you when you catch someone really nice and sweet and it's and you've not used your strength and you've not used your weight and you've just caught them with perfect technique, absolutely perfect down to the last bit, and they go, Oh, you're heavy, aren't you? Oh, you you oh you strength and you're like, Well, I haven't touched on my strength. Well that's that's that grinds me so bad. That's also a jujitsu thing as well, isn't it? So you know oh, when yeah. someone's a little bit a little bit better than better than you or a higher belt and you do something to, whether it's a sweep or a takedown or something or a submission mm. uh, and once you've done it they're like that oh well you could have done this a little bit better and I was like oh, <laughs> hang on a minute did, did I did, did I miss something um, what I really want to talk to you about is because you, you know you talk about your size and stuff what are you now like 100 and, well what did you compete at you were like 130 kilos wasn't it 135 140 yes. I've competed at different weights and different weights have different outcomes for 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 competing in BJJ I'd probably come down to about 125 130 but trying to fight my, mobile strong yeah. for judo it needs to be heavier for me personally it needs to be heavier but there's not that many people on this planet that are that heavy yeah. and there remember, are at the judo in the over 100 kilo I mean most of them if you're not above 120 if you so if you're if you're super so you get sometimes you get under 100 kilo players who are super super special and they move up and to start with they're like 110 kilo because they spent most of their life dieting down to under 100s but even them they all get up to about 125 130 so there's an instant but and they're the special ones average average heavyweight 135 140 they're all in that bracket. Heavy end of that is 160. And you've got to be within that because when you go to move someone, you've got to break the balance. You've got to pull them. You've got to push them. You've got to... And if, you, if you're if you genuinely 20 kilos down on that and they say no, you, you they don't move. They just don't. They just they just brace and they can just absorb everything. It's it's so hard. It's 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 almost like a different sport to, to, to normal judo. The under 100 kilo and down. It's just such a different thing because people move with each other and they move because they both want to throw. It's like I was saying to you about when you get, so in BJJ, when you, when you roll with black belts that you can roll with and both of you can tap each other, you both go for it and you open up in certain ways to try and catch something, to try and get something. Now, when you're a plus one particular judo player, they ain't giving you shit until they're ready to give you it. So you've either got to push them and really drag them about and, and compromise your position to get that balance broken, like if you imagine you've got to push a big weight. Now you can two-footed stand there and just lean into it, but it ain't going to move. So if you put both feet back, get into a scrum position and drive it, then it does move. But how compromised is that position? When that when that thing you're pushing can turn, twist and throw you, and that's 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 the thing. So if you're 110 kilo trying to push a 160 kilo bloke. You've got to wait for him to move. And if he just if he's caught you with a couple of little sweeps and stuff, put you down for a low point score, he just stands there going, what have you got? Because you're not going to get the reaction out of him. You're not going to get anything to then make something. Um, BJJ is a bit different, but then you still get it with certain certain people will give up. And they'll come into your guard and just go, ah, and they'll just tighten up. And that's not how it works. You know, they need to actually go for something. And... I'll let I'll let I let people come through my guard all the time. I prefer to let people come through because it gives them hope. It makes them think there's something there, and if there's something there, they'll go for it. Where if you lock them out before they come through the guard, then they don't open up and they don't give you their arms. They don't give you the neck. 
And if and it's only once they open up when they think they've got something, that's when you can take it. And that's the thing. It's about executing techniques without effort. If you have to force it, it's not technique. And you, and you, you know, you could, in a comp, you can make it work. But the reality is you shouldn't have to. And if you can get that without putting the effort in, it just happens. It's just magical. It just flows. That's what you want. That's how you want it to work. I remember you um, a few years ago spinning some stories about um, you were finding it hard to find some training partners. So you went to Georgia <laughs> and, uh, and, and trained there. You <laughs> oh, spin, my God. You spin that a bit? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick a quick update on where we were. So I, I was cooking when we came back from Iraq, focused myself on the rugby, couldn't get the outlay. Jamie Goss finished it for me with rugby. We were sat at, sat at a table and he went, Chris, you're really shit. And and maybe he was right, but I put so much effort into trying to make it work. And he wasn't he wasn't that great a player either. You know, we were all just trying. I mean, Christ, we t- we turned up half an hour before the game, had a quick training session, and then and straight into it. You know what I mean? It was never gonna you know it was never gonna work perfectly. And and maybe I would have been better being put somewhere else. I was just I was a big lump. I was fit. I could run. You know, and I enjoyed it. And uh, when I came back from Iraq, I could not get a, get that release from it. So I went back to the judo knowing how hard it was. And I got third in Britain within like eight months. And it wasn't judo. It wasn't anything. It was just a bootnet mentality and physical fitness. 12 months after that, I won it and became number one. Now, when I won it, it was just... Yeah, it, it was weird. It was really weird. I still didn't have any judo. I still wasn't good at judo, but I ground down. So this guy called Richard Blanners, and he's, he's, a, he's a maths teacher. And he's 135 kilo. He's like six foot six. And um, wow, he's got judo. I mean, wow. Like at the time, this guy's like the legit thing. And we got put in a pool, so everyone fights each other. And... He he just he cleared out, cleaned everyone out. He just cleaned everyone out with beautiful, beautiful foot sweep throws, you know. And I'm sat there going, "How am I going to beat this guy?" So I took it to him for five minutes, and every time he tried to throw me, I'd try and throw myself off of it. I used my face. So on judo, you got to land on your back to get to get points on on the. You got to throw them on the back, and if you throw them flat on the back, that's it. It's done. So I basically used my face to get off his throws. So I've got a 135 kilo bloke throwing a 120 kilo bloke onto his face and I'm trusting my neck back so that he can't turn me over. So I'm basically, I'm basically, he has to snap my neck to put me over. And um, he, he threw me this one time, right? And my jaw hit the mat and my bottom jaw went one way and the top of my head went the other. I just felt my teeth splinter in my mouth and I had to sort of ask the referee if I could spit, spit the shards out. But the general just says, he beat me. He beat me with a Wazari score because he threw me. But I pushed him so hard over the five minutes, he couldn't speak when he walked off the mat. He sat down and he had one more fight to go, uh, Dan Bellion. And he had to be helped into his next colour gi. They had to help him onto the mat because he'd never been pushed like that before. I, w- I was a fizz monster at that point. You know what I mean? I'd have I'd had 12 months full-time judo training with some of the best people in Britain. Proper S&C coaching, real thrashing training. Because they looked at me and went, he's big, he's strong. 
they had to wear me out before we started us before we actually did a session because i was just i was just too strong and too full of beans and and it was hard to develop technique on people smaller than me because i had these other attributes which i could use so they had to wear me out and a lot of the time they they, they get me in groundwork and they put two on me at once so they get two guys attacking me at once and it's it's the most horrible torturous thing you'll ever go through but i lived with it for like three years four years and I, I I learned to harness it, and that's a, that's how they managed to get me to get my technique better by by like that. But back to Richard Balana. So he's so he he, he threw me for Wazari. He got Wazari and a Yuko on me, and um, he cleaned everyone else out. He had Dan Bellion. They helped him onto the mat. He couldn't breathe. He was he was like his lips were blue. He was struggling to breathe. He was literally he was literally halfway through a cardiac arrest. The guy just walked on through him and was like, "What the hell happened there?" Just shocked. Just just turned the guy over because he was so exhausted. I then went on with the same guy, smashed him up the way the way I did. Smashed him up, threw him for a pump, boom, there's me, British champion. The guy had to be helped onto the podium at the end because I worked him that hard over the five minutes. I I just, you know, and that's that boot bootneck endurance and mentality and just ground him down. So that was me, British champion. And then, you know, fast forward seven years, Get got filled in loads. If you want to see me get filled in, go to YouTube. You'll see me get beaten up by loads of different people. Uh, seven years, about the six year mark, started to win a couple of things. Judo developed. Spent a couple of, did like you know three or four week stints in Japan, um, all over the world. Went training with the Russians. Um, yeah, just oh my god! If, if you really want to see me get. I got beaten at uh, Cuba, Cuba Grand Prix. I lost, I got silver and I lost the final. Guy just had me. He was just better than me, you know? And and the thing is, I've, I've fought these guys on camps. And when we're on camps, I can break them down, you know, because of my, my fitness and, and my, my, my persistent strength. And I know my techniques. My techniques are quite basic, but I know them really well. So I'd, I, I would break these guys down to the point where they go, Chris, Chris, no, no more, no more. No more. I'm. I, I, I'm. I've had enough. And it. And it was. A, it was a constant theme. I'd walk up to the Russians and the Georgians, and they go, "Not today. Not. 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 Not today." Because they knew I was there on the training camps for a dust up. I was there, take scalps. You know, but the problem was is they had better judo than me. So when we come to the competition, and I couldn't. You know, you've got a five minute fight. You've got to break them in that five minute fight. It's just not long enough at that level because everyone's fit and everyone's strong. You know, and uh, he. He just. He caught me with a couple of really... He was really long. He's, he's much taller than me, he's, um, Zaidov. And, um, yeah. It's really funny because back in... Oh, my God. Like, back in 2000, 2006, we had a training camp at, at Dartford and the Russians came over. And this guy... Um, so, at this point, I'm like, I don't know, 24, 25. And this, this guy, Renan, was like a young lad, you know, 17, 18. And I was really mean to him. And I sort of duffed him up on the mat. And of course, he's grown up in Russia under the Russian training scheme with seven or eight full-time heavyweights, all training, all, you know what I mean? He's had the best training you could possibly have with all the, all the nutrition and all that that could possibly go into him. And of course, he got to 24, 25. And then his judo just, he just wiped the floor with me, man. And like, I got to the end of the fight and I literally had nothing new to try and he was so long in the arms he just held me at a distance he just he 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 worked me like a bitch you know what i mean he literally and at the end of the fight i walked off a fight and i was like i tried everything i had just 
just I wasn't good enough, you know. And that, that fight's on YouTube. It's, it's 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 so frustrating. I hate watching it because I just had nothing on him. And like on the ground, I kill any of them. If you give like the problem with judo is is so you get you get thrown or something goes wrong. You both land on the deck. You go about three to five seconds to do something before the referee stops it and stands you back up. Now, if the referee sees you doing something, and the referees aren't always the best, <laughs> so they might know not know what you're doing. The amount of times I've I've got someone with a strangle or a choke. And I've been right on it, but because the referees weren't good enough to spot it, they just stood us back up. And like on the training camps, you'll do, you know, five standing sessions and then five groundwork sessions, you know, and then and then they'll finish. And then in the evening, they'll do another five standing, five or, or ten standing or, you know, and only the toughest blokes stay behind at the end to do all the newaza, all the groundwork, only the toughest blokes. And uh, what, do, what do you, f- and this is, it might be a controversial subject, but... Which do you prefer? Do you prefer the standing or do you... Hands down. So I'm I'm so much better at groundwork. So much better. Groundwork's, groundwork's easier to pick up. It's easier to close doors, but it's harder. And this is the thing. It's, it's easier, but it's the harder route. So most people don't take it because it is the harder route. You know, to become good at groundwork, you've got to grind it. You've got to grind it out. Where in your, standing... It, it... It takes so long to get good. So if you if you imagine a computer game and imagine a person standing stand just standing there, and you draw an arrow on every direction possible direction he could go. Right. So you've got all the directions he could go, and then you've got foot sweeps, you've got leg throws, hand throws, you've got hip throws. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all these different things have to go into that equation. So when you take hold of someone, he could do any of these. On the ground, second the guy's lying on his back, he can only turn left or turn right or sit up. So you've gone from 50 different decisions the guy can make to three. So you can nail that down so much quicker over a time period. You can get better so much quicker. But the way to get the way to get good on the ground is to go with people better than you. And this is where a lot of people fall down. Because they don't like going on with people better than them. Because it's a grind and it's horrible and you're going to lose and you're going to tap and blah, 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 blah. But then one day you'll catch them with something and you'll up your game and you'll up your game. And I, I much prefer the ground. I much prefer it. It separates the men from the from the boys. Do you think the reason why judo... I mean, tell me if this is going to affect you anyway, but it's not. Well, it probably won't. Do, do you think that... Because judo is an Olympic sport and it's a, uh, a more of a mainstream sport, martial art, that the the reason why it's more concentrated in the stand-up as opposed to, I think, quite a few years ago, there used to be a combination of standing up and then you could have time on the ground too. Do, do you think the reason why there isn't so much groundwork anymore is because people won't necessarily understand the groundwork too much because like you said there's only three possible ways to go yeah and you can't see what's happening on the ground as well yeah but people can see what the reaction of an ippon for instance you've got a cause and effect haven't you so the thing with so the thing with judo right is when people ask me about judo and bjj i say to them judo is predominantly standing but you can finish on the ground it's a backup that's what the groundwork is the way to finish in judo is to throw for on, flat on the back. And if you do that, it's over. It's done. However, if you get two really good players, they're going to manipulate each other so they don't land the way they want them to. Or they're going to counter 
At which point you both land on the deck and you've got three to five seconds to finish it. Now, you used to have a lot more time on the deck. They used to just let you go on the deck. And you get players like Steve Gawthorpe, who would, he would let people foot sweep him just to take him to the ground. And once he's on the ground, you're in his locker then. And he would just slowly crush you. Amazing player. Amazing player. But they stopped that. Because the ground, uh, it's it's supposed to be a secondary. And that's and that's the general thing. It's supposed to be secondary. You're at competition, it is secondary. It's a, my throw didn't work, so I finished with this. And it, it, and it, it is a whole different discipline on its own, you know. And with judo, so for me, so here's an even more funny thing. The core, if I'd have done any other martial art but judo, I wouldn't have got full-time training. Because judo is an Olympic sport. If I'd done a non-Olympic sport at that particular time, I could have been anything. It wouldn't have made no difference. I wouldn't have got a full-time sports draft to do it. And isn't that crazy? That I happened to do that one, which then led me to this. And and the same reason that I came out of retirement um, to try and make Tokyo. You know, I love the BJJ. I love rolling. I really do. I, like, it's funny. I was I was thinking about what 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 I really enjoy about BJJ, and it's tapping people. You know, I when I when I turn up to comps in BJJ, I don't try and get points. No, I want to finish. You know what I mean? It's like I don't really care about the points. I just want to finish. And it's that what so for me, what do I get from BJJ? BJJ for me, I love rolling. I love the combat of it, and I love finding out what people are made of. And like for me, it's all about the tap. I I. I I, when I go to a comp, I understand there's a point system, right? But for me to have fun, I don't want to take it that seriously. I don't want to think, oh, if you know, if he gets me here or he passes my guard, it's a win. I would rather let him pass my guard to have the option to catch him with something decent. I had a I had a guy. I was at the um, it was a BJJ All Stars European Champs. And I got this Brazilian lad. He trains up in Liverpool. He's got a purple belt, and. Oh man, he's, he's, he came up to me at the end. He says, I saw you warming up. I did a quick Google search. I found out who you were. And the second combat was called, he literally touched my sleeves and just dropped. He didn't even grab them because he was like, I'm not standing up for you, you know. And and this guy, I think he was like European silver medalist or something like that or bronze medalist. But man, he, so he, this guy, right? So it's, 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 the, um, it's the open. So it's like, you know, he's like, I don't know. I'm going to say 80 kilos, but he's, he might have been less. And man, he wrapped me up in this spider guard again and again and again. And I got proper frustrated, but I couldn't deliver any power. I couldn't use my movement. And every time I snapped a grip off, he, he got back on it. And after we got, we're like, like a minute from the end of the round, I started to break through because of my physical fitness. And um, I started to get through, I started to get around. And I think at this point, he had two points on me. And I, I was so aware that the clock's ticking. So I started to make myself more vulnerable to try and get through. He got a little sweep on me. But but I got what I wanted. I got I got his gi round his neck, right? So we're at the point he managed to get me back into his guard. But I've got his collar wrapped around his neck. So I'm strangling the life out of this bloke. And he's hanging on. He's he's trying to hold me out. He's trying to push me out. And he and I can see him looking at the clock, you know. And I'm like, ah, you know, frustration. But it was an excellent bout. And, and like, it's the perfect, for BJJ, it's the perfect way of showing you how a small bloke can slow down a big bloke with the right 
abilities. You know, he's repped that spider guard. He's repped that grip. He, the way he snapped the grips off and regained them, because obviously I'm ripping his grips off because I'm powerful, strong, and I know body position. I know how to break grips. I know how to prop his wrist and snap the grip away. And he came to me then and he said, man, my grip was ruined. You know what I mean? And it was that, it's, it's really nice to get someone who is that good. And they come up to you and go, man, what a fight. And I'm like, yeah, man, what a fight. And I lost, you know what I mean? I lost on points. But it was so close, man. I had him in a strangle at the end. And he's like, never, <laughs> you know? And it's like, he, he won, man. And he was like jumping around. And I was like, fair play, man. You know, oh, just. And then and I spoke to him, found out where he was from. He'd, he'd done loads of training in Brazil, came over to Liverpool, and he was training with the with a lot of the MMA guys. And, you know, it was, it was really good. And I know the respect between the two at that point is just, you know what I mean? No one else knows that. No one else can have that. The respect you both share at that particular point. Because it's like, yeah, man, we, we both we both brought it, you know, and we both ground it out. But, yeah, so, <laughs> total tangent again. But going back to, you know, judo olympic sport maybe i would have done something more groundwork based if that had had the option but it didn't you know what do i prefer i much prefer bjj i find it i find it much more fulfilling i find it you know it's much more honest not not in like because you obviously get a lot of unhonest people doing both but the problem with judo is is you can travel halfway around the world and be thrown and you're out in three seconds where with bjj you know, yeah, yeah, if, if he sweeps you or something, then, you know, you can regain that. You know, you can sort of come back and your work ethic, you can work that. It's like, like in football or something. So it's not, it's not first to the first, you know, first team to the first goal. In judo it is. So it's just so much more, it's so much harder. So if you imagine you're trying to gain experience on the world level, but every time you turn up, you get thrown within the first 30 seconds. It's really hard to gain experience at that. Where if you turn up, like, you will never get competition judo at a dojo because they'll be practicing whatever they're practicing. So like, say for instance, you came along to the Judo Scotland dojo, uh, Billy Kuzak's club. You go to any one of those, you rock up. You are not going to get that guy fighting you like he will in competition because he'll be repping his this into that or you know his foot sweep into his leg, into, into a leg throw or something. But he won't be fighting you properly He'll be practicing what he's practicing. Where in BJJ, you can get two people to have a proper dust-up just at a normal session. At the end of it, you're both hanging out. You know, you've, you've given it your all. You've seen into that person's soul, you know, and it's like, it's deep. It's real deep. Where with the judo, if that guy's better you with a foot sweep, he just keeps nailing you. And you, and it's judo soul-soul-destroying in that, in that in that way, you know? I'll tell you, I had some, um, well, when when I first started training and you were there was when um, a guy called Rob Bennett. I know Rob. Yeah, yeah so Rob Turner, uh, black belt in judo. Uh, good, good guy. Yeah, I don't, don't know whether he's a brown belt now. It was a purple belt when um, when he started. This is like. He's, he's a black, I think he's black belt judo. I think he's I think he's um, brown belt. Is he a brown belt now, I think he, he might be, yeah. Yeah, so he he, he basically started, started me off. He came around, I was looking for something outside the mm. surfing. People that listen to this podcast know where he's going anyway. However, mm. you you, uh, you turned up for a couple of sessions because I think Rob got pulled away. He started everything, but, you know, you continued on doing it. And uh, 
I, uh, I, I didn't. You thought I was a plonker? No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> when we first met, yeah. Uh, but digressing a little bit. Um, so we were doing, uh, I think we were just doing like some strangles or something mm. like that. And uh, you kept using me as a demo. And I was like, oh, man, Chris, just fucking choose somebody else. <laughs> but everybody, because I'd like organized it and I was organizing the lads to come in as a white belt. I was being demoed on. And I remember there was another lad called uh, Matt Phipps, I think. He was a Navy lad. Matt, yeah. yeah. Matt's still doing it. He's yeah, still doing but it. He's, um, he'd won quite a few ADC, uh, ADCC competitions, uh, like submission only. So we used to go into the squash courts and stuff. But because both of you guys are stand-up guys, yeah. i.e. judo, used to show judo throws on me. And I remember this one time that uh, it was with uh, it was with Matt, and Matt was just showing. Um, I can't remember, but he kept doing it over and over again, and I was just like, that, "This is really hurting." Yeah. And there was about ten guys there. I was like, "I really Especially don't." Breakfalls aren't that great. Well, but it just kept launching me, and he was like, "It was just showing the technical aspects to it." And then it got to sort of like the one from last one. I just turned around to Matt and said, Matt, please stop hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, what? I, from that, you know where you get bad experiences doing something? Yeah. So from that point, whenever we did any stand-up drilling, I was like, I fucking, I hate this. Yeah. With a passion. And it hasn't, and it's only, I mean, I've been training, what, nearly, what, seven, eight years now. And it hasn't recently been until the last couple of years when we started doing standing to ground yeah. that I really started, like competition training, so starting standing up, going to the ground, yeah. where I really, really started and started to engage yeah. the takedown side of it. But it's be it's only because it's taken me this long to understand concepts. Yeah. And when you start understanding concepts of any martial art, I mean, granted, I've only done BJJ and a little bit of judo, is you can see the functionality behind it as well. Yeah. And once you can start reading that, then you start to enjoy it. Yeah. I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy being thrown by 130 kilogram Chris Sherrington. I did Do you know what though? I would lay you down much more gentle. <laughs> I would always. You probably would. I, I always tell people I'll always lay you down like a lover. Yeah. Well, he didn't. And no, he. Just... This is the thing though. You you know you're going off. There's 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 people in the judo world who are enthusiasts, and and they think there's something good, and they're really not. You know they they are the club level coaches, and fair play to them. They grind it out day in day out. And then you go up a tier, and then you got people who who are quite talented and stuff, but but they they still don't they still don't understand it. They know a little bit, but they don't know a lot. And then as you go up again, you get to the athletes. Now the athletes, most of them, understand this, they understand that, but even even then, they won't look after you hundred percent. Then you get to the full time athletes. Now these are the guys who really can look after you because you have to because you every day you're doing it every day you're training together so you have to look after each other and there's and like the amount of times so like as a heavyweight the amount of times i turn up, so i've got no partner and then one day some guy will turn up and i'll go completely relax for him i'll let him throw me full on expecting him to catch me at the end of it and just take you can take the snap out of it and once he puts me through the deck i'll stand straight back up 
I'll pick him up and I will fucking drop him. I will drop him so hard that he'll either walk off the mat or he'll go, sorry, I threw you that hard. Because it's tip for tap. You know what I mean? It's like when someone, if someone does a, a, a foot sweep and they kick you in the shin. I, so I'm at, you're going to love this. So I'm at the Paris training camp, right? All the top players are there. It's, you know, international athletes galore. And I've got this guy, Ben. He's, he's a Belgian lad. Lovely lad. And um, he kicks me and he kicks me and he kicks me. I says, Ben, oh, it was head. He was, so on the judo, you're trying to get the back of the collar, right? So you're trying to get the back of the collar and you're trying to pull the head in. So he throws his arm and he, he basically fucking cracks me in the neck. And he does it over and over. And, and this is how this is how cauliflowers form. And I says to him, Ben, I says, don't hit me like that again. I says, I can honestly hit you harder than you are hitting me. Because he's, tr- he's trying to do a technique. You know, he's trying to, and I says, stop hitting me. So of course, next thing you know, we, we get fighting and he fucking launches it, hits me in the head. And I just stopped everything I was doing. I cross-gripped his gi. I smashed him around the head as hard as I possibly could. Of course, he drops like a sack of spuds on the floor. <laughs> the whole session stopped. Everybody just stopped. <laughs> I just leant over him. I was like, I don't do it again. <laughs> but it was like, you know what I mean? I felt terrible at that point, but it was so funny. It's like everything just stopped. And I was like... Oh, Chris, you lost your cool, you know, you lost your cool. We've done a week's training camp of filling each other in. And like, you know what I mean? Oh, just lost it. But <laughs> I had this guy. So there's this French guy, right? Never met him before. He's on the French the French team. The French team's amazing. They've got such talent on the team. Like they are, it's, it's like one of the top sports in France. You know, the judo is just unbelievable. Unbelievable, off off the scale. And this this under hundred kilo guy who just moved up, he comes over and he keeps he keep because he saw me training so hard with everyone. He's like, yeah, I want a bit of that, I want a bit of that. And I, I looked at one of the French guys and and one of the coaches. He's like, he's crazy. Go on with him, you'll love it. And I was like, all right then. So I takes this guy and he was nuts, mate. He was absolutely nuts. This is standing, right? So you're supposed to do when everyone's doing standing, you just do standing. You don't do transition unless the numbers have thinned. So he gets this guy and I throws him and he tries to carry on on the floor. So, of course, I got back. I was like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? He's like, oh, this is great. This is great. So he starts fighting standing again. I throws him again and, and literally throws him for the fourth time. He loses the plot. The whole mat has shouted Mate. Everyone's moving off the mat and he charges me. He charges me, mate. And I dropped underneath him, smashed him right over. And the whole French team starts clapping. Mate, it's the, most, it's the most craziest thing you've ever seen. Oh, my God. Just like, what a lunatic. But, you know, these are the people you got to deal with, isn't it? It's like, but like major respect came from the French team for that. Because I didn't lose my cool at all at that. You know what I mean? I just kept it, kept it where it was, you know. And the guy was nuts. He just kept coming. Even after the, after the buzzer, you know what I mean? It's, it's funny, but. Mate, I know you've got a million more dits like this and I'd so love many, you mate. to come back oh. on the podcast again. I've gone off too many times, um, haven't I? Yeah, mate. We've been banging on for an hour and a half now. So, mate, it, it's been a pleasure listening to you, talking to you. <laughs> you I'm definitely going to have to have you back because you've got a million more dits, mate, to spin and uh, and, and I seriously want to get back and talk too, to too, you. Too many dits, mate. Far, far too many dits. Yeah. Even, even meeting the Queen. 
Now that was a dip, mate. Oh my god. We'll, we'll, we'll save that one. Unbelievable, mate. Stuff like that is just that blew my mind that day. We'll get on to that next one. Chris Sherrington, thank you for coming on the Grumpy Surfer podcast. Cheers, man. Cheers, buddy. In my opinion, Chris is quite a misunderstood character because of his size and sheer competitiveness. I think from our conversation, you can see this is a humble giant and I love talking to him. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also follow the Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.